It's coming up to 20 to 9. This is James Ross uh, with Money Talk. A very good morning to you. In your money today, Carolyn Wright finds out how charities can struggle with fundraising for certain necessary functions. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. In your money today, we're going to take a look at some of the financial issues charities can face around fundraising and what their funds are actually being used for. I'm joined now by Carmel Armstrong, who is the COO of the Love 21 Foundation. Thank you for joining me, Carmel. Thank you very much, Caroline. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's talk a little bit about this because you say that it can be quite hard for charities to raise sponsorship to cover both salaries and rent rather than when it looks like it's more focused on programmes and equipment. That's right. I'm not sure if you're aware, but charities raise money in two different formats. One is they receive restricted funding and one is unrestricted funding. So as an example, if you were to give me $10,000 and say this is for your football programme, I can only spend it on that football programme. But if you just give me a general donation, I can spend it on anything we need to in the charity to keep the charity running. People tend to like sponsoring a programme. They, they feel that they want their money to go to the actual beneficiaries, which we understand. But the problem is you need to have a premises, you need to be able to pay the electricity, and you need to have salaries and people to, to run the charity. And so raising unrestricted funding is really important for us. And a lot of the grants and a lot of the companies who who provide donations often will require a programme with measurable outcomes. And I understand that. If you're going to be giving money away, you want to know that it's being used properly. So charities always struggle in finding funding for premises and funding for salaries and just general admin costs. So in what ways do you think you can change that? Or in what ways can people who want to donate change that understanding that this is so very important for the function of a charity on a day-to-day basis? Yes, it is important. And I think also, Carolyn, I think it's getting a little bit more important for us because the Hong Kong employment market is pretty low unemployment rates. Corporates here play an awful lot of money and can be very attractive and charities cannot pay the sort of salaries that corporates pay. And it's very difficult for us to attract and retain these people, good people, talented people. And so what I think um, we are seeing, and there is one company I'd like to shout out to, which is Sangati. Uh, they're a capital fund management company, and they do pay the rent on one of our floors, our largest floor, actually, which is a godsend to us because that's something that we know I can wake up in the morning and we haven't got to go out and raise the money to cover that. We've still got another floor which we have to cover, but a company like Sangati is forward thinking and it realises that without having a premises, you don't have the classes, you don't have the facilities. I think as well, you know, as we talk to donors and as we talk to sponsors and grant providers, what we're trying to explain to them is that if we put on a football class, for example, we need somebody to arrange that football class, to book the teacher, to book the facility, to organise the equipment. And it's allowing us to try to build in some of that salary into the application or the grant request so that we can have a good outcome and a good class which is is robust and managed well. It sounds like the one of the key things here is probably when you're thinking about sort of longer term that if you have someone who's going to help you, for example, sponsor a floor of your building, it gives you a bit more longer term confidence. And I think that's got to be a good thing for anybody who's considering donating to a charity because then you know that that charity will be able to, to function longer term and not just in the short term. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It's on more than that as well, actually. 
our members, our beneficiaries, which are Down syndrome and autistic, they like routine. So we recently, or last year, we had a fire and we lost our centre. And the kids lost their routine. The members lost their routine. And it's quite unsettling. And it's also unsettling for the parents who struggle. So to have the certainty that you've got the rent paid for the next year is amazing. It's good for the beneficiaries, but it also helps me attract and retain staff because they can see that there's a future to the charity and we're not living hand to mouth each month. Going back to what you were saying about getting the right people and how, you know, it can be difficult for charities to attract the right professionals when salaries can't necessarily be as high as they might be in the private sector. How important is it that you can get the right professionals and can that actually help lower your costs because they can help operations become more efficient? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think it's recognised that people who work in the NGO business don't do it for money. They do it for passion. For example, myself, I worked with HSBC for 36 years. And believe you me, I'm nowhere near the salary that I used to be on. And I don't go to work for the money. I, I go for the hugs and the kisses and everything else I get from, from the beneficiaries. But yeah, if you can attract talent, if you can bring people in that have got experience, you can then work to looking at improving all of your processes. You can look to putting governance in place, which makes it a far more sustainable NGO. You can use networks, and the fire was a great example of the networks that we've created throughout Hong Kong and how the Hong Kong community came together to support us in trying to rebuild a new centre. Without having people that have got experience, you just can't get that type of sustainability. It sounds to me like we all probably need a bit more education and obviously it's great to be able to talk to you and learn a little bit more about that. But what else do you think needs to be done to help the public understand a bit more about the sort of overall picture of supporting a charity? Yeah, it's a great question and it's, it's a hard one to answer because if I knew the answer, I'd probably be doing it, if you know what I mean. But uh, yeah, I think events like this, I think we do a lot of talking in different companies. We go out, I'm actually, I'm going to a company after this to give a presentation about the difference between NGOs, corporates and also diversion and inclusion. And through that conversation, I will also touch on fundraising and how important that is and how difficult it is becoming. It's probably even more difficult than it was three years ago when I started this, to be honest. So I think, you know, the more we can talk about it, the better. We also run a corporate social responsibility program where we invite companies in. And this afternoon, I've got a very large bank in town and they're coming in to do an activity with our members. And there's about 50 of their staff coming in and we will talk to them as well. And they will see the centre and they will see that we're not spending money frivolously here. Everything that we purchase or actually a new centre, 85% of it is all repurposed furniture and walls and glass, stuff that was going to the landfill. So it's really, truly sustainable. And we can talk about that when we have invited visitors in and spread the word through education that way, really. And finally, with Money Talk, we talk about the economy and finances a lot. And I think you sort of alluded to that, that at the moment it is quite difficult to get funds. And I think that's possibly slightly down to economic times being harder. How does that impact you as a charity? Does that change significantly the kind of levels of donations you get? I think it does, yes. I mean, the corporates are becoming very much more considerate about when they're, when they're investing money into a charity, when they're donating money to a charity, that they want it to have diversity and inclusion. 
They want it to have something that gives back to their staff. So the opportunity to possibly come in and interact, volunteer, etc. I think with individuals, I mean, if I take, for example, we're arranging a gala dinner at the end of April, uh, which have fundraising. We would love to sell 600 seats, but there's a lot of balls coming around because people haven't been doing them because of COVID. Of course. And everybody's putting their gala dinners back on and people are getting a bit tired of that. And also they're a bit tired of the ticket price because some of these tickets can be quite, quite expensive. And we've deliberately pitched ours at a lower end because we're a community charity. That's what we do. We look after people who have got financial difficulties often. And so we really want to appeal to the community to come and to learn more about our wonderful members. It's been great to speak to you today, Carmel, and you're doing fabulous work and I really hope those donations keep coming in and that people can learn a little bit from our conversation today. That's Carmel Armstrong, COO of the Love 21 Foundation. Thank you.